Why hello you beautiful nerds. As you may have surmised from the title of this video, I succumbed to the image comic book gods and bought every single issue of Invincible. I didn't just watch a few comic book explain videos, I actually read all 144 issues and I have to say, it was pretty fucking good. And now that I've finished the comics run in its entirety, I want to have a little comic book kiki. This one is for people who were too obsessed with the story to wait for the second season, or the true OGs who read the comics when they were first published. Or for people who don't give a shit about spoilers and want to get a little taste of what the show has in store. Now the Amazon series may ditch some of these storylines considering how this is Kirkman's second bite of the apple, so to speak. And the first season moved a little bit differently than the first part of the Invisible comic book series. So for this list I tried to avoid any deaths of the main characters or main villains. I mean there are some deaths on this list but I tried to avoid anybody super important. I'm also not going to talk about how the comic book ends because that feels a little bit, that feels like a bit much. That one you're going to have to read for yourself or wait 10 years for the show to get there. But enough with all the spoiler warnings and shit, let's talk about what we're talking about. So roll something, pour something, because I just read something and let's count down the Number 10, Mark meets Science Dog. A few months after the events of the season one finale, you know, after Mark gets his ass whooped. There's some pretty harsh shit with the old guy back there, right? Mark gets a visit from his favorite comic book character, Science Dog, whose name was changed to Seance Dog in the TV series. Not sure why. Mark understandably freaks the fuck out cause Science Dog is not a real person. He reveals himself to be a mantis-like creature who took the form of Science Dog cause he thought it would make Mark feel more at ease. I guess that makes sense. Like if I got home and Batman was just sitting in my living room, I would be fucking terrified. Mantis Science Dog person tells Mark that he needs his help to save his people. So Mark agrees to go back to the alien's planet. And when he gets there, there's a big old surprise waiting for him. Papa Nolan. That's right. Omni-Man has been ruling a nearby-ish planet full of creatures with a very short lifespan. Not just compared to Nolan, they only live for a few months or something like that. After everything that happened on Earth, you'd expect Mark to start fighting Nolan immediately. But it made all the sense in the world that he'd rather give the guy a big old hug. I mean, it's his dad. Dad's stuff is complicated. It's a beautiful moment that really highlights the power of family and forgiveness. Granted, something terrible happens almost immediately after this moment but that happens a lot in this comic book. Feelings like happiness and contentment only last for maybe a couple of pages. Number nine, Powerplex electrocutes his whole family. So, nobody's perfect, right? We all make mistakes, and having superpowers doesn't change that. That's something the supervillain Powerplex had to learn the hard way. Scott Duvall was a normal guy who, like many people, lost a loved one in a fight between Omni-Man and Invincible. A lot of people died that day, and one of those people was Scott Duvall's sister. So Scott builds this electric suit that gives him the power to I mean, he's Electro. He's basically Electro. Except he uses the kinetic energy from his opponent's punches to power his suit, making invincible super strength irrelevant. So one day Scott gets his wife and kid to tie themselves up and pretend to be kidnapped so they can trap Invincible. His wife is totally down, by the way. She's, she's just as insane as he is. But something unexpected happens when Invincible turns up to save the day. After Powerplex attacks Mark with an unstable electric blast, he accidentally hits his wife and kid, burning them alive. Invincible eventually figures out how to defeat Powerplex, but the traumatic damage had already been done. I feel like a lot of comic book superheroes have a villain 
that was created from some sort of collateral damage. But this was an incredibly tragic example of someone letting the negativity in their mind consume and destroy them. Number eight, Zandale kills his parents. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this dude's name right, cause that's not a real name, but whatever. I know what you're thinking, Black Invincible? And the answer is, Sorta? Of? The Invincible series takes shots at a lot of comic book tropes, and this seemed to be a subversion of the whole minority version of a known superhero thing. Known by the superhero moniker Bulletproof, Zendale has powers very similar to Invincible. He even wears the costume that Art tried to pawn off to Mark when he first started. Fun fact, Robert Kirkman's original name for the comic book series was actually Bulletproof. But none of that, I mean, that shit, that doesn't really matter. That's not what we're talking about. During a time when Mark is unavailable. Let's just leave it at that. With Mark's permission, Bulletproof dons the costume temporarily so the world doesn't think that Invincible has disappeared. I guess they can't tell he's black, but whatever. Little known to the readers though, Zandale is going through a lot of shit. Years ago, his twin brother, who was obsessed with superpowers, accidentally killed himself after kidnapping and experimenting on Zandale. Not wanting the news of his brother's insanity and subsequent death to upset his parents, Zandale not only tells his parents that his brother is still alive and a superhero named Bulletproof, Bulletproof, he also pretends to be him. All of these secrets and lies come out like these things usually do during a family dinner. His parents totally suck and have always kind of resented Zandale and compared him to his brother, so they didn't take the news very well that their favorite son was dead. They accused Zandale of killing his brother and threatened to call the police. In a fit of rage, Zandale and his girlfriend impulsively kill his parents in the middle of his living room. Zandale started out as kind of a joke character because he had Mark's reject costume and reject superhero name, but this was one of the moments where he stood out as a complex, kind of fucked up character. It's too bad we don't see much of him after or really before this. Number seven, Monster Girl is a papa. One day Amanda, an incredibly smart college student, went on a school trip to Europe and hooked up with some local dude. Unfortunately, local dude had a crazy ass overprotective magical grandma. So grandma put a spell on Amanda, turning her into a huge muscular male troll thingy. After a while, Amanda learned to switch back and forth between her monster and human form, but learned that every time she switched, her human form would get younger and younger. Despite this, she decided to fight crime in her transformed state under the alias of Monster Girl. Are you, are you, are you confused yet? Cause just wait. <laughs> It's about to get weirder. So not long after Robot builds a belt that fixes Amanda's reverse aging problem, they get sucked into a portal that sends them to an alien world of the Flaxons, a belligerent race that has tried to invade the Earth multiple times. You probably remember when they were in the first season of Invincible. The pair stayed on the planet for a thousand years, but due to the way that time passes on the planet, it only seemed like a few years have passed. During this time, Amanda had a romantic relationship with one of the Flaxon females on the planet. I guess when they had sex, Amanda wasn't in her female form. They had sex while she was in her male monster form too. Unknown to Monster Girl, however, the Flaxen became pregnant with Amanda's child and had a son, like a like a really, really big son. This was such an incredibly weird storyline because not even Monster Girl knew she could get someone pregnant. But yeah, the whole thing is very surprising and the complexities of the storyline really highlight the depth of characters like Robot and Amanda. I mean, they lived hundreds of lifetimes and the scope and scale of their journey in the comics is comparable only to Invincible's titular character. Monster Girl is one of the few characters that gets to have a story arc about 20 times over just because of the the whole age, time, thing. And this is one of the most interesting twists in her and Robot's very fucked up relationship. Number six, Oliver don't be giving a fuck. So after realizing that he has a little brother, by the way, Mark met his little brother when he met Science Dog. What? 
Mark and his mom, Deb, raise little Oliver on Earth. As he starts to develop powers, Mark tries to show him the superhero ropes, but that proves to be easier talks than walked. You see, Oliver is an alien. He grew up on a planet where everyone's lifespan was only a matter of months, so he has a different idea of compassion and the sanctity of life. One day while out on patrol, Oliver confronts the Mahler twins at a nuclear base. Very early into the fight, Oliver basically punches through one of the twins' faces. As trite as it sounds, it seems like the kid doesn't really know his own strength. He totally obliterates the jaw of one of the Mahler twins, albeit accidentally. But Oliver isn't the one to backtrack, so he doubles down and totally kills both of the Mahler twins. But like, on purpose. It's super shocking because you kind of expect Oliver to fuck up his first time out fighting crime, but you don't expect it to be for this reason. I thought he was going to get his ass whooped or something. What's even more eerie is Oliver's response after the fact. Mark tells him how sacred life is and why he shouldn't kill people, but Oliver doesn't really agree. He more or less says he agrees with Omni-Man and thinks human life is insignificant. This makes Mark a little nervous considering his dad just wrecked shit through the entire earth a little while ago, and now his not so well adjusted the alien son is showing signs that he also has murderous tendencies. Based on the fact that we're not sure how strong Oliver will get, and also how unconvinced he looked after him and Mark had their little heart-to-heart, -heart, it's all very disconcerting and foreboding. And just, and just creepy. It's just, it, have you ever seen We Need to Talk About Kevin? Number five, Thrag versus Battle Beast. Throck and Thrag. In another world, they would have been buddies akin to the odd couple. And until Alan the Alien, great name by the way, until Alan tasked Battle Beast with hunting down the ruthless Viltramite, both of their power levels were kinda ambiguous. I mean, I don't know about you, but I assume that these two were the strongest characters in the series to this point. And this fight kinda proves that. This was the longest, bloodiest, and most epic fight in the entire run of the series. Nolan and Mark fight doesn't compare. The last fight of the entire comic book series doesn't compare. Once these guys lock horns, the battle rages on for three days. When it's all over, Thrag comes out the victor and Battle Beast thanks him for the pleasure of giving him an honorable death. From Thrag's state, it's clear that if he didn't have the help of the locals, he probably would have died from his injuries too. And after he's all healed, and this is the most gangster shit I have ever seen. Next time we see Thrag, he's wearing the skin of Battle Beast like a fucking cape. It so totally sums up Thrag's personality too. He's clearly proud of the achievement of besting Throck in battle, and in a way he admires the strength of his enemy. Dude was one of the strongest beings in known existence throughout the galaxy, but to wear a motherfucker's skin as a coat, I mean, that's that's just- That's so disrespectful! It's also gangster as fuck, and I kind of I love-hate this character so much. Number four, Mark Beats Conquest. Sorta. So immediately after the Invincible War is over and Mark is full on hating himself and feeling guilty and angry and fucking angry, he gets a visit from the vicious Viltramite known as Conquest. Conquest is one of the oldest, strongest, and most savage Viltramites, and he's come down to ensure that Mark is preparing the human race for its eventual Viltramite invasion, which Mark has not. But Conquest's timing couldn't be more perfect. I mean, not for Conquest. Even though Mark is nowhere near as strong as Conquest is, he's so pissed off at the Viltramites and himself that he kind of wins the fight with sure will. And an essential assist from Adam Eve. I mean, dude broke both of Mark's arms, so he had to headbutt this motherfucker to death. Ugh, this is, this is so, oh, so brutal. I mean, at least Mark thinks he's dead. Only mostly 
dead. Unfortunately for Mark, this won't be the last time he tangles with the ancient alien soldier. But the shock and the visceral nature of this first encounter is why it makes my list. Number three, the Invincible War. Okay, so at some point, Mark runs afoul of a man named Angstrom Levy. I'm not gonna go too far into his origin and his history, cause again, it's super fucking long, and I feel like it's way more satisfying to go on that ride yourself. But long story kinda short, Angstrom Levy is a super scientist who went absolutely batshit after one of his experiments went awry. Invisible happens to be there at the time of the incident, so naturally, Angstrom blames Mark and vows to kill him. Oh, did I mention that this motherfucker has the power to open up multiple worlds? Dude's basically a mixture of Kang the Conqueror, Rick Sanchez, and that dick from work who's always complaining about how the world is against him. You know the guy I'm talking about. Mark faces off against Angstrom a few times in the comic series run, but the most impactful has to be the Invincible War. Angstrom recruits the most evil, insane, and brutal versions of Invincible and unleashes them on Mark Grayson's Earth, promising them that they get to expand their empires in exchange for laying waste to Mark's reality. This was crazy for a number of reasons. The first being the obvious. Mark is really fucking strong, so one evil version of Mark could cause a lot of damage. And 16 evil versions of Mark? Well, that's just devastating. These guys absolutely destroy LA, London, Moscow, New York, Tokyo, Sydney, and Paris for days. What made things even worse? On the second day, Eve is critically injured, so Mark rushes her to the hospital and refuses to leave her side. Which is sweet and all, but there's a full-on war going on outside, and Earth's strongest fighter can't afford to sit this one out. Isn't that cute? But it's wrong! With Mark out of the game, all of Earth's heroes continue to struggle with evil Invincibles. And I'm talking all of Earth's heroes from this universe. Because Invincible takes place in the very large Image universe, there are cameos of some of my favorite comic book characters fighting side by side with the Guardians of the Globe. I mean, this is an all-hands-on-deck Avengers Endgame style fight, so literally everyone shows up. Like, we see Witchblade, Savage Dragon, Youngblood, Cyberforce, and even Spawn. After three days, only half of the evil marks have been defeated, and Eight of them remain. It seems like Earth was all but powerless against this onslaught, and there probably wasn't anything the good guys could have done to stop this. In fact, the only reason that they do stop is because they turn on Angstrom, who promptly traps them all in a barren desert world. This was one of the most catastrophic events in the entirety of the comic series, and definitely the highest casualty number from one single event. I don't think they ever say how many people died, but later they reference another huge event where nearly one million people die, and someone that it wasn't as bad as the Invincible War. Number two, Mark gets raped. So at some point, the Viltrumites end up living on Earth, and all the Viltrumite soldiers are being tasked with growing their population and mating with humans. And the powerful soldier Anissa has Mark in her sights, mostly because she can't stand human men at all. So she sees Mark as the only viable choice, him being half Viltrumite and half human. After multiple denials from Mark, Anissa finally decides to do things the Viltrumite way, which is apparently to straight up rape someone. On Viltrum, the mating custom was often very violent, and romantic partners were kinda taken by force. Well, not kinda, they just, they were. It was even common for some of them to die during the process. I like how his trauma is treated in the movie, because they don't just breeze by it. It's not played for laughs, and it's not this shocking thing that is handled insensitively that we never go back to. This is something that Mark deals with for a long time. This storyline was handled with care, and in a way that respected every person involved 
and the moment when he finally decides to tell someone about his sexual assault, it was one of the most emotionally vulnerable moments for Mark throughout the series. Number one, Mark could have fixed everything. Without a doubt, to me, the craziest and kinda out of nowhere moment in the entire comic series is a moment that kinda comes later in the comics run. One day when Mark and Oliver are out searching for Thrag on an alien planet, Mark gets sucked into a creepy dark side of the force type hole and wakes up pretty much where the comic book started. Mark has somehow traveled back in time to the first day he got his powers. Though he's initially scared, he eventually realizes that he can do so much good with the knowledge that he has. Knowing what happens next means he can prevent a lot of bad shit from happening. So he does. While he's living his best life for the second time, the strange being that sent him back in time in the first place appears to him and tells him that they sent Mark back in time so he could restore the balance of the universe. Apparently too many people have been dying and these weird time space squids want to restore order. Sidebar, did this influence that episode of Invader Zim or did that episode of Invader Zim influence this issue? I don't know, it's not important, whatever. Mark saves his dad from killing the Guardians, the Flaxons aren't nearly as much of a threat, and ultimately he's saving countless lives with his power. His foresight to train even more than he had been before, and his knowledge of what's to come, obviously is giving him a leg up on this crime fighting thing. Everything is going great. The only problem is, he's kinda fucking miserable. The squid monsters come back because they notice that Mark is sad, and they ask him why he isn't happy with going back and correcting all of his mistakes and saving the people he couldn't before. In his original timeline, Mark and Eve were in a long-term relationship and had a daughter named Tara. So they give Mark an option. Either go back to his original timeline or save everyone. Kind of a red pill, blue pill situation, except the red pill is to save the world or is the blue pill to, whatever, the color of the pill doesn't matter. Given this decision, Mark decides to go back to his own timeline. Though he's doing so much good, he's heartbroken that his actions have caused him not to have his daughter anymore. He admits that he'll probably end up dating Eve eventually and then they'll have a daughter but it won't be the same child he's already fallen in love with this is such a gut-wrenching decision because you can see the full emotional weight it puts on mark when he has to physically convince himself that he can live with trading countless lives with his unborn daughter the weird squid aliens don't make him feel better about it either they pretty much call him a punk ass bitch they're they're pretty pissed especially since it seems like these beings just gave him the choice to go back as a formality like they didn't actually think he would ever in a million years choose his daughter over billions of lives. Well shit, we gotta let him do it now. We can't just offer it to him and not. However tragic the implications, truly exemplifies the love he has for his daughter. The fact that he could have changed all of existence, every terrible thing that I mentioned on this list, shows how, for as moral and ethical Mark is, there are still decisions that are too hard for him to make. The comic book doesn't even necessarily try to convince you that he made the right decision. I still don't know if he made the right decision. I'm a big old philosophy nerd, so using a comic book storyline to exemplify the trolley problem, mashed up with the subtext of with the greatest power comes the greatest responsibility. Of course, this doesn't end up affecting the main story pretty much at all, but it goes on to affect Mark. He still has to live with this for the rest of his life. And I just feel like with everything that it means, considering all that Mark has sacrificed through the entire comic book run, this has to be the hardest decision that he ever has to make. And that's why to me it was the craziest shit that I was totally not ready for. So that's it for this list. But what do you think? Do you think Mark 
have made the right decision? And what do you think the craziest moment in the comic book series was? Any thoughts you got on the Invincible comic book or the Invincible TV show? I want to hear it. Oh, and do you have any fan casting? We're going to get a second season of this show eventually, so I'm curious of who you guys would cast in some of the characters that we haven't seen yet. I'm talking Conquest. I'm talking Angstrom. I mean, come, we all know Jeffrey Wright's going to be Angstrom Levy. Let's not even play. But anyway, if you got your own fan casting ideas, please leave it in the comments. So until next time, stay safe, my little Viltramites, and may the Force be with you.